Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, episode 300. And 32, 332, Thursday, February the 1st, 2024. And it's warming up a bit here, Mark. We've had a couple of warm-ish days. Um, we haven't had our typical summer here in, in the Southern Hemisphere, Mark. As you know, our typical sort of Melbourne heat waves. Um, and I'm hoping we won't get one or more of them, Mark, where we have you know, 35 to 40 plus degrees Celsius for several days in a row. And our, our little weatherboard house turns into a furnace if that happens, right? And it's the same back in Newcastle. We uh, the, the, the temperature at home um, at the moment's about, I think they did just top 40 today at home. Um, and... Uh, and fortunately, it's not been a long, hot summer and there's just been these a couple of little spikes. Um, it's been, well, where we are up at the very tip of Cape York, it's been just hot and humid all the time. It doesn't get, like, the temperature is about 35 at the moment. Yes. But it's 100% humidity. It's just, that's <sighs> It's just I, raining. Yes. I, Make, it's... Makes the orchids grow beautifully. <laughs> and you don't have to water the garden if you uh-huh. had a garden up there, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, we have a 39-degree forecast for this coming Sunday, yeah. Mark. So, yeah. um, But I think it's only that one day and hopefully it then um, cools down again. So, But I can't complain otherwise, Mark, um, as no doubt you cannot complain living up there in a pa- paradise and I see you posting some amazing pics as usual of the, of the local wildlife. It's been fun getting some photographs. I've, I've, I've been just had a little stall with the whole posting process because I've been a bit, oh, just the, had some damage to the camera and, and, and I liked it. Brendan, I mean to ask you, do I do these posts and I actually do a little bit of research about the, um, the subject of the the post and usually have a little bit about maybe an unusual fact but it, you know what it's just like preparing for one of these podcasts it takes a huge amount of time um so if i if the camera's playing up and the photos are a bit of a worry just just getting it all done can be a bit overwhelming but i'm back on track so so what do you think about those uh the descriptions i put on those photos Excellent. <laughs> yes, no, very much appreciate them, and it's more than just a post in a beautiful pic of a of a um, amazing looking wildlife species. Uh, you tell a little bit of a story. You you I pick like out a, a bit story. of a bit of fu- a fun fact, uh, I suppose, is what you tend to put in there. So it's it's good. Keep it up, Mark. Keep it up. Yes. Um, and speaking of keeping it up, we need to jump into our news, Mark, um, because we have two news stories today, and I think I'll do the first one. And this one's very close to home, Mark, um, because uh, we comment on this whenever we go for a bit of a bit of an evening walk around our suburb, Mark. Um, the native noisy minor bird here in Melbourne, Gee, they're little buggers. 
they, they, are, are, they? they are so aggressive. So there are native species of birds for those of our listeners who are not um, here in Australia, but they are extremely aggressive um, with any other birds in the region. And this, this little study was looking at... Um, well, the challenges we've got um, an increase of the noisy minor bird mark because what we've done as humans, there's more open lawns and less tree canopy, both in the backyards and public spaces. And with their territorial behaviour, they've pushed other species um, out, Mark. Um, and gee, whenever I go for a walk, and we have, it's amazing, some of the, it's just so good going for a walk around here and you now you're seeing, seeing the sulphur crested's in their native environment. We're seeing um, all the. You do live in a beautiful part of the world, there. You know, we're so, seeing ev- everything from blue wrens to to um, eastern rosellas, crimson rosellas. Um, I think I sent you a picture of what a um, a. Uh, might have been a musk lorikeet. No, it was one of the other um, um, beautiful coloured. Uh, um, and and yeah, we just got a, a, a good variety of mar- a mark of these, um, especially these parent species. Um, but lots and lots of noisy minus mark um, yelping and shrieking. And I saw one chase off a. Um, I think it was a um, a rainbow lorikeet uh, that, that was was trying to just perch up in one of the gum trees mark and there's a little noisy miner there and he just went nuts he or she went nuts and just um attacked it and told it to rack off um, so it yes. is amazing they, they they have two characteristics which they're honey eaters and most of our australian honey eaters are raucous uh confrontational birds they've got to fight over those rarely located um nectar nutrients um but the the noisy miner is a particularly bad one because they they form gangs, Brendan. They yes. they literally form gangs and gang up on other birds. And have you handled one? The beak is not so much of a problem, but they've got these bloody gigantic flexor tendons and uh, the flexor muscles and the flexor tendons, and they have those. Um, well, it's just literally talons almost on the, the claws on their back legs. And they alternately flex those flexor muscles and drive them into you if you're holding them. And they do the same thing with, you know, they grab other birds and, and um, they'll rupture corneas and burst air sacs and they make life miserable for that, particularly the other little birds. Yes, they treat you like a pin cushion, don't they? If they <laughs> exactly. Grab onto your sort of webbing of your of your palm there or in between your thumb and your oh. index finger and it's it's painful it's torture <laughs> yes so uh this article was just saying uh it's mainly because of the change in the urban environment there and it made the area more suitable for the noisy miners um so they're having a great time um at the expense of the other species they did mention at one stage in this study uh and, the, and they identified 69 different bird species mark that were um, um, they were looking at in these both suburban and, and semi-rural areas mark in parks and gardens in Melbourne um, and they did men- mention the possibility of maybe doing a cull but um, but that's for noisy 
for noisy miners, but um, gee, I, I don't think it's going to do much, is it? Um, there are, uh, they, yeah, they are there's a lot of them. Yeah, there's a lot of them, and and, and I think. Um, particularly in a place like Melbourne, the the vacancy will just be filled by adjacent birds yes. expanding down. So yes, and that sort of recommendation was trying to support the native other native birds by creating habitats, especially dense, dense. Spike, yeah. spiky bushes where smaller, less aggressive species can seek shelter. So yeah, uh, we love the the little you know hakeas and grevilleas and. The, Banks is all those spiky little shrubby bushes that those um your wrens your lovely blue wrens and, yes. and all those other small birds that the miners give a hard time to yeah good good to go brendan I, my new story is a little bit um oh it's difficult to do a segue to and yes. i don't look I, anyway i'll talk about it <laughs> and i'll tell you my concerns yes it's about coral reefs and about the, you know, there's a whole bunch of um, research going on these days about, it's almost like, I call it white flag research. It's waving a white flag of surrender as far as uh, um, climate change is concerned and saying, okay, well, it is a disaster and everything's going to die. So how can we uh, maintain the reefs and uh, keep them going, even though the world's going to hell in a handbasket? So in the period, a good uh, statistic that came out of this uh, short article was that in between 2009 and 2020, there was a 14% worldwide decline in coral, largely uh, coral bleaching, um, sustained coral bleaching. Uh, so the corals eject the zooxanthellae, the algae that provides them with their energy, and not always, but most of the time, the coral will subsequently die, um, uh, destroying the reefs that they've created. Um, but now there's, they're talking about new AI technology which could come to the rescue. So there's been research done in Western Australia in the Abrolhos Islands, 60 kilometres off the coast, where they're using robots and AI technology to well to garden coral so corals grow pretty well and most uh, the people who have reef aquariums will know that if you you can uh, you know break off a piece of uh, your branching calcareous coral and plant it and it will grow like a plant starting a new bit of coral well what they're trying to do with this research is um getting robots to do that and and so thereby have an army of coral gardening robots um, which could well they're hopeful improve the process of reef restoration after there's been things like coral bleaching any story that has to do with conservation that has AI in the headline. I don't know, Brendan. I'm automatically switched off. I think it's a bad. I think I don't. I don't want them to give up. I don't want climate change to lead to a undersea army of robots gardening coral. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a bit of a leap from <laughs> from that actual story there, Mark. I mean, the story was the story was about. Uh, taking the repetitive nature of 
out where you know man, manually people would plant or you know in inverted commas the the coral cuttings into this little calcite or whatever base mark that then they put on the seabed and uh, so they were training the robot arms to do that particular task um with it but yeah i'd see i see your point i mean the point i d- didn't like particularly much about this article it seemed like a bit of a, a pr um push <laughs> for the two companies involved autodesk which is a software company that's been around for forever, Mark. If you remember a very old Autodesk way back in the 1990s, you probably don't. And also um, Coral Maker, which is a company that's sort of involved with the robot, robot um, and the AI as well, Mark. So I don't think in this article, I think it was reported, we'll have a link to it as usual, um, at vetgurus.com. Um, they said the robot arms are being trained um, with AI to help sort of place the, you know, little um, coral bits onto the substrates, Mark. But I don't think they've said it is um, actually functioning yet. No, Um, no, it's not. It's just... The the article did list a couple of other... Well, even the article says they're more bizarre technology-driven solutions to coral destruction. And one is the placement of uh, undersea loudspeakers to create a, an, an acoustic environment so that there's a... Place of nice music. Well, they, they're going to play some fish singing to attract fish and other coral-friendly animals back to the reef system. Sort of like a... Great Barrier Reef Disco. <laughs> <laughs> so what, the Triple J Top 100, <laughs> as we have here in Australia, something like that? Yeah, I don't think, it'll, was... I don't think it'll be less effective at, at producing a, um, a coral reef. The Triple J Top 100 will be just as effective as everything else they play, I reckon. Yes. That is bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> And the other one was so in, uh, to, to try and help the coral. The other one was experimenting with the idea of injecting sea salt into ocean clouds. Mark, did you see that one? I did. Yeah. I did. Then they then they think that they might be the injected clouds could be brightened by up to five percent, which would keep the planet and the coral reefs cooler. Mark, um, I think that's a bit pie in the sky, don't you? I think it's so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! Well, that's all I can say. If if we have the money and technology to infiltrate sea clouds with salt at a rate sufficient to protect coral reefs, can't we just use those same resources to not burn coal and uh, make plant a few more trees? And yeah, yes, exactly. yes, um, yes. Oh my goodness! Well, Brendan, the world. What is the world coming to? I have seen, speaking of undersea robots, there is, I know, we'll have to look, look it up and maybe talk about it another time, but there is currently a, as I understand it, an undersea drone um, that injects uh, um, crown of thorns starfish uh, because that is a labour-intensive Yes, thing. I think I have seen that report somewhere previously, yes. Yeah. yes. We'll look that up because... These things sound far-fetched to us, but 
I'm telling you, a uh, undersea collection army of robots planting <laughs> the coral, fi- playing disco music. The world's are going to be a weird place by the time we get <laughs> to pass it on to our children. Well, we'll be having robots changing our <laughs> nappies, I think, Mark, as, uh, by that time that happens. Okay, let's jump into our main topic this week, Mark. I've got some questions to ask you about lymphoma and guinea pigs, Brendan. Yes, lumpy guinea pigs. Uh, oh, well, not, not, all, pigs. not all of them are lumpy, so we can chat about that as well. Mm. So, so lymphoma and guinea pigs, Mark, sometimes called lymphosarcoma, and there's different sort of variations on it. So there's a straight leukemic or leukemia-type version where we don't get lymph node enlargement there, Mark. Have you seen these is my question. I have my seen. Question. Yep, I have seen them. Have you? Certainly. The, the, I, I regard them as um, – I, I put lymphoma in guinea pigs high on my differential for any, especially middle age or older guinea pig, but that's NQR, that's not quite right. And especially if we can palpate lymphadenopathy, Mark, if we can palpate any enlarged lymph nodes. Um, the big exception there is that the, the lumps in guinea pigs where we get the guinea pigs that have that cervical lymph adenitis, Mark, as we've had a previous episode on that. So the so the lymph nodes that get invaded by bacteria and you get that massive swelling under the chin on one or both sides, it's just full of pus there. So if we have enlarged generalised enlarged lymph nodes, especially um, if it's not that just those front ones. So if we get the, you know, the classic would be the popliteal ones that you can palpate in them. And and it's not doing well. It, it's probably, you know, other, other general sort of signs with these cases classically. Are, they're just lethargic. They're picky with their food. Weight loss is a, another big one, Mark, I, I've found with them. And um, and it's can be reasonably quick, um, um, the signs that as far as how often, how quickly they 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 um, occur, Mark. Brendan, do you ever, when when your um, clients bring these not quite right guinea pigs in, and it's on your list, uh, do they ever present them for lumps, or are they just generally vague, not well guinea pigs? Yeah, I th- I think majority of the ones that have the classic lymphoma with the lymphadenopathy, the owners haven't have not. In my experience, have not detected um, the lumps on them. They just bring in a guinea pig. So uh, he, she has you know, been getting progressively pickier with its food, not, not behaving differently, hiding, not moving around much, looks unhappy, um, weight loss um, over several days to several weeks. And as I said, it can happen pretty damn quickly. You know, they seem oh, normal a week ago and, and, and dramatic changes over, over a week or so, which is a little bit different than... Some of the other neoplasias we have, Mark, they're a bit more of an insidious onset, but these ones can, that not all of them, they can occur, in my experience, pretty quickly. Now, at that, um, that initial clinical exam, um, do you ever, are you ever, there's been a couple of cases that have sort of come to my attention because I can feel um, an enlarged liver, the, the internal organs might yeah, like that might be infiltrated and demonstrate some organomegaly. Is that a common sign for you? No, but it can certainly happen, Mark. I think the most common signs I see with them are the obvious that lymphadenopathy or just a really flat guinea pig, and I um, tick off some of the other potential um, 
causes, um, especially the dental disease one, as a pretty common one. So, you know, to have a quick look in the mouth there and poke around in the, around that head area, um, even before we've knocked them out to confirm whether or not it does have dental disease, um, 100%. And I don't know, you just get a bit of a feel for them. I, I don't know whether you've had this, um, that, that you just think, that, is this one a lymphoma? Because it's not, I'd regard it unusual to rare, but... You know, we'd see anything from none of them for six months and then three in a week type thing. Yeah. So, so it's 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 so it's a well reported um, condition, and you know, um, with them. So, so, what do you, what? How do you if you've got your you know your your um, spidey senses tingling? Um, how do you get the diagnosis? What's the next step from there? Okay, well, if I've got a lumpy, bumpy guinea pig mark, we've got that lymphadenopathy. I'll I'll be either doing an FNA, or I um, to 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 maximise the chance of of a of a diagnosis. I just remove the whole um, lymph node mark. Um, typically, is what I tend to do. So you can biopsy it as well, um, you know. But if if I think if you you know as far as order of priority, increased chance of of, of confirming what you've got. You know, FNA, then biopsy, or taking the whole node out. I think so. That's what I do with the ones where where I've got a lumpy one. I usually say to them, "Look, let's have your guinea pig in um, for a day. Um, we'll give it a brief anaesthesia, anaesthetic. We we take that um, biopsy or, or remove it, ideally, depending on what the client will will, will pay for. I suppose um, FNA if they they don't want to go down the track of the surgery. Um, strongly advise full bloods because we'll talk about the the, the cell count with them as well and plus or minus radiographs um, if um, and we'll palpate that piggy when it's knocked out as well to see if we've got any of that organomegaly as you mentioned. So the ones that don't have those enlarged lymph nodes, Mark, and I'm still suspicious, it's getting that CBC. Um, and typically with these leukemic ones, Mark, they've, that, that white cell count's massive with them. Yeah. It's it's incredibly dramatic with it it's it's you know and, and you've got your diagnosis there straight away unfortunately with those ones um, and they're mostly lymphocytes large lymphocytes that you see in there but you know 50,000 plus um, cell count um, is what what we sometimes see with them so it's usually you know really dramatic with them yeah so are you you're you're doing that on a smear or an in-house uh, um, yeah well I, I ha- these ones I have a I had a couple in last few days actually that were suspicious interestingly enough neither of them have come back positive but um some pretty dramatic weight loss in one middle-aged guinea pig and another guinea pig that did have a um as a referral from another or a second opinion from another clinic did have a lymphadenopathy but that um lymph nodes were not enlarged when i saw the animal um and cell count with both of them was within normal range and all the other biochems and everything were fine and um yeah we still haven't one had some dental disease going on in the background but not quite enough of what i thought would be causing the disease process so the bit bit of a question mark though so i think we can also get ones that um you know we 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 don't have the classic you know biopsy or, or, or histopath or or fna that comes back negative and we 
do the CBC and that comes back negative and, and yet it still may be one of these lymphomas, Mark. So you might have a the neoplastic process um, tucked away somewhere, you know, yep, gastrointestinal yep. lymphoma, for instance, um, or, or like you mentioned in other organs there, even, even though our biochemistry analytes are uh, nothing dramatic. So that's our sort of diagnosis with them. And, and um, I think you were going to say, what's the, what's the treatment options? Well, I was. I was going to ask you, once you've yeah. done all this wonderful work and you uh, get a blood count and there's your um, 50K uh, large lymphocytes, um, what do you do then? Yeah. How do you well, treat them? How do you treat them? Well, you start thinking about your options, your options <laughs> for um, your urns. Um, further clients. So you give them the brochure that has a list of the 50 different types of urns when you get your ashes back for your guinea pig because the bad news is it's extremely unrewarding, Mark. Um, and I think even where people have tried, you know, there's been a, at least one paper which has used whole body irradiation, Mark, and I think the guinea pig was dead in two weeks. Um, prednisolone, you can put them on um, to maybe get a bit of palliative care there, but but virtually all of them are, are not with with us in in days to at most several weeks. And I've I've certainly um, experienced that with all of the ones that I see, Mark. So it's the prognosis is grave, unfortunately, and. Um, I have a reasonable number of clients who will then decide to call it quits then and there um, once I've got that diagnosis or um, if they because I've pro- probably pre-prepared them for it as well yeah, yeah. When, when they've left the animal for the workup or if they want to say goodbye to it, then we might put it on some prayer and or some other pain relief or whatever as well and and um say goodbye over over a few days yeah with them so it's one of these horrible disease processes one of these horrible neoplasms or or, or neoplastic sort of group of d- neoplastic diseases lymphoma complex or whatever you want to call it that is hopeless to deal with um have you had any luck no no luck and i i reckon the ones that i have treated i don't think we we may have made a little bit of difference over that couple of weeks to quality of life um you know um, making the guinea pig hungrier making them a little bit more active but i don't know that we've changed their length of life Um, and there are there's some you know there's some written um chemo Chemo protocols that have been tried but same story you know i don't uh, either doesn't make any difference with the average lifespan of them, you know, maximum weeks at most, um, yeah. regardless, unfortunately. And, yeah, it's a, it's a sad one, but I, but I think it's one that you need to have certainly on your list um, with with our little piggies because it's not a um, – if, if you end up seeing exotics, you will see this um, – problem i'd be very interested with our listeners mark and how many they lymphoma cases they see send us an email vetgurus at gmail.com whether you see none or you see lots of them how how many do you see if you've tried any any treatment regimes what's the maximum length of um, lifespan you've received yeah i think even though the prognosis is very grave i think it's really important that we talk about this and i do think 
um, you know, as part of your diagnostic process, you need to keep it on your radar because um, you just, you, you look so much more on the ball if you can prevent that suffering. If you know what's going on at the first instance and you provide that definitive diagnosis through the white cell count or whatever, um, you just, luck is, it, it might be shorter, but you prevent the guinea pig from suffering and you give the people a chance to come to terms and, and deal with the issues the guinea pigs had. Brendan, as a final question, is there any, you know, amongst many of these, um, the, our small uh, furry friends, there might be uh, trends or uh, genetic factors or is there anything else that might predispose the guinea pigs to getting it that we could manage? Yeah, well... That's why I'd be very interested to see what the sort of worldwide distribution of it as far as potential genetic factors, Mark, and, and regional um, regional um, increases in it, depending on country, et cetera. Well, it's potentially tied in with, with um, a retrovirus marker. Type C retrovirus has been reported and T-cell lymphoma, um, so, um, a fair number of them are reported as being so. But I don't know, Mark. My answer is I have no idea. Um, you know, is there, what is, why do these guinea pigs get lymphoma? Um, do you have any thoughts? I, I, no, I don't. I don't. Have, I don't think there, I suspect there may be a, a viral predisposed, you know, a viral infection that, that uh, switches on and, and then they develop a, cancer as a um, post-viral infection Um, uh, but it'll be interesting I'd be really interested to hear what our uh, listeners have to say from around the world are they seeing cases of guinea pig lymphosarcoma or are they and and does it behave differently in different parts of the world yes it would be great if we could um, track it down to something that we can um, prevent Mark but there's I've got nothing as far as prevention with these. I think the important bit is um, keeping this on your radar for a not-quite-right guinea pig, especially those middle-aged, older ones, although I think I'd have to have a look through my records, Mark, but I have seen it in not not, not a particularly old one, but I don't think I've seen it in any a guinea pig less than you know two or so, I suppose, off the top of my head. And, yeah, it's a, it's not a... It's not a good prognosis at all, Mark. In fact, it's a grave prognosis for them. Um, so it's a bit of a sad day for everybody when we when we diagnose a lymphoma in a guinea pig, Mark. But let us know what you hear from around the world. Yes. Oh, Mr. Outro's here. We better get out of here, Mark. Talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thanks.